Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And um, who do we have today to talk about? You know, I got to be honest. I didn't really check the uh, the meeting invite, but um, let me just look at the other. He's back again. I feel like I was just here. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Sophia, welcome back for your fourth appearance on the show. I think I'm cemented as the all-time leader now. You are. You have guest on this podcast. It yes. is getting colder out there, but I will let you know right now, we do not have a jacket to give you for number five. <laughs> if that's what you're going for. It, it was, so um, I'm a little disappointed. Okay. Well, maybe I, like a Terminal Talk beanie cap or something. Yeah, I was going to say maybe an old t-shirt. Yeah. As long as it's not Frank's. <laughs> <laughs> Those just kind of disintegrate. <laughs> So we imagine you're not here just to, to hang out, but um, what, what what are we talking about here today? So I think today's topic is around data privacy passports. Okay. Um, you know, another thing that was announced alongside the Z15. So I think we're going to take some time and go through that. That sounds like a good idea. Um, is this something that's uh, available today? So when we announced Z15, there was a separate announcement around data privacy passports. What we did was we announced a beta program for it. Oh. So it's not available as GA today, um, but is available as a beta. And and the reason we did that, this is some new new stuff. And you know, making sure that we 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 get it right when we go to market, we want to make sure that we have some beta feedback that comes in and lets us pivot before we go GA. We, we thought this was an important step to take before you know making it generally available. And before we go too far down the rabbit hole of, of the beta program, which we definitely want to, uh, can you give us kind of like a set the record straight on what is data privacy passports? Good question. So looking at what we did on Z14, we had pervasive encryption, and that protected data that was on IBM Z. One of the pieces of feedback we got was, well, what happens when that data leaves the mainframe? Um, you know, data doesn't stay in one spot. It moves from place to place. How do you deal with with that scenario. So when looking at you know, what we were going to do for Z15, we wanted to try to address that problem. And data privacy passports was our answer to that. At the core of it, it's a, it's a data-centric solution. And what that means is that typically what happens today is you have point-to-point protection. You, you copy the data from system A to system B. It gets protected on system A. It gets protected differently on system B or at all. And it's protected somehow in flight. Then it gets copied again and again and again. You rely on every hop that that data takes for it to be protected. Data-centric is different. You wrap your data in an object, protect that object, and then move that object around the enterprise. Now, no matter where it goes, it retains that protection, and you become insulated from whatever is happening on those individual systems. So how does this type of data-centric policy or model differ from a traditional like key management type model? Good question. So... You know, with key management, you're, you're moving, you know, requesting keys, moving keys around. Um, th- this is, model is a little bit different. We're really focused on data, not on the keys used necessarily. So even though there, there's keys involved in protecting the data because it is using, you know, industry standard encryption, the keys aren't, aren't the center focus of what's happening. The, the focus is around the data. So when data flows through data privacy passports, it gets wrapped and protected in these trusted data objects that then permeate throughout the enterprise. When those objects come back, they can get unwrapped, uh, unencrypted with the keys, and then data can be returned back to a user. Okay, this still sounds very confusing to me. Yeah. So 
Um, is this something, a tool that's used within an enterprise, or is this supposed to be across multiple enterprises? Good question. So when you look at data-centric, once the data is protected, it's somewhat irrelevant where the data goes, whether it goes out to public cloud, whether it goes to another enterprise. Um, but with data privacy passports, when we're, when, you know, our first deliverable, we're really focused on-prem. Um, so you deploy what we call a passport controller, which is really the, the workhorse of the solution. And you deploy that on-prem, protect on-prem data. You know, there's, there's obviously, you know, you can think through use cases where this would expand out in the future. Um, but the data-centric model allows for that data to still be protected. So, you know, it, it's never the system of record copy or the first copy that gets, um, you know, leaked outside of the enterprise. It's some copy of a copy of a copy. And Jeff says, oh, I have that data and I'll make a copy and give it to a business partner. And he didn't realize it had some extra columns in it, for instance. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> these things happen. That's they, they, the point. They, that's the point is, is these things happen. And, and if you protect that data, you know, at, at a granular enough level through, through a data-centric model, the fact that Jeff made, you know, the, the mistake of moving extra columns over could be irrelevant because they're protected. So they're all encrypted. So it doesn't make any sense on the other side. For something like this to work for this, this new model with the, the controller, it kind of needs line of sight to the data between the data uh, uh, trusted data object and the controller at, at all times, though, right? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how the data flows here. And, and usually, I've got some good charts here, and I'm waving my <laughs> hands. So um, try to describe this as vividly as I can on the podcast. So if you have a source table, and, and, and right now we're only focused on relational data accessible over over JDBC. That's where we're starting with. So you have a source table. Let's say it's DB2 on ZOS and you want to copy that table to you know, some distributed system. Instead of going and, and dumping that data out in DB2 and then having an administrator move it over, FTP it, and, and, and ingest it into the target side, you instead connect that DB2 to data privacy passports, to the passport controller. So now there'd be a link between DB2 and the passport controller. Again, just standard JDBC link. The administrator would talk to the passport controller and they would say, I want to copy a table from, you know, the DB2ZOS, and I want to target it to this other database system, which I'd also have a JDBC link to, through the Passport controller. The administrator talks to the controller, triggers the copy. That SQL gets sent over to DB2 on ZOS. The data gets pulled in. The policy then looks at, basically, you know, does this column match a policy element, and should I do some protection of this column. And then it goes element by element and does that protection. So you might not need to protect someone's name, but you might need to protect their social security number for those listeners in the U.S. Um, so you would have a, you know, your policy would, would dictate that. Then all that data would be pushed out into the target system, which could be on distributed, could still be on Z, um, you know, wherever it goes, but it's a, it's a copy of the data now. And some of those elements, some of those columns are now protected and some of them are now in the clear. So it depends on the policy that is how that data gets out into um, that copy of the database. So, so this is kind of important because I think that people who have heard about it may not be thinking about it this way. In this new table, there is some data that will just never be visible or, or, or potentially never be visible to, to a query. Kind of. So if you query that copy... And, you know, we'll use our social security number example here. Um, if you do a select and you select a social security number, instead of getting out 
a string with a social security number, you're going to get out a string that's a trusted data object. It's just stored as a variable length character in the target table. Um, so you can do a query and you'll get that data out. You can't really do much with it. It's, a, it's you know, cipher text from an encryption plus some metadata. If you need to open that up, now instead of going to the DBMS that has that table, you go to the Passport Controller. You send your query there. The Passport Controller acts as a go-between between you and that DBMS, pulls that data in, cracks it open, looks at it, looks at the policy and says, okay, Frank can't see this. So I'm going to just replace every character with an X. Jeff can see it, or maybe he can only see the last four. So I'm going to do that. Different views of data for different users that are coming through that passport controller based on who they are and how that policy is set up with the different personas that you might be. You know, Frank's persona might be, you know, data scientist. Jeff's persona might be, uh, you know, some sort of data administrator. And you'd have different rights to that data. But how, how would you see this differing from, say, security labels in DB2? So when you look at it, other solutions that are happening local to a um, local to a database system, you know whether whether they're, they're IBM systems or not, they're not data centric. So even though you know, you could protect the data that's resident in that table, you could still unload that table, move it somewhere else, and you've got a clear table. So the, the data centric, if someone was to do that on the trusted data object table, they're still moving trusted data objects. I could put them on my laptop. I could write them on a pencil and paper it's still encrypted data, um, no matter where it goes. And until you bring it back to a passport controller, it does not get opened. Now, let me put on my, my black hat here for a <laughs> second. Um, I'm not trying to poke holes in anything, but if I can read data, I can open up a write pipe somewhere else and, and put that somewhere else. So how is this adding protection if, if I can still do that? No, that's a, a really good question. Um, and this comes up quite a bit. So, you know, let's say, by policy, you know, Jeff had clear access to that that element. Uh -huh. So he gave his, yeah, his black hat's really on now. Um, <laughs> so he, he sends his query to the passport controller, which pulls in that table with trusted data objects. It opens it up, says, oh, it's Jeff. He gets it in the clear. Here are all the clear social security numbers. He had to come back to a passport controller to do that. It's now logged. Jeff took this data. Here's the date and time he took the data. So if he has that data now, he can go walk around with it, and, and he's got a copy of it. By policy, he was permitted to do that. But you now know that it was taken, and you know where the source was from, and you know who took it. So you now have an audit trail as to who's been taking data and, and uh, when, they, when they've done that, and you can now go back and say, well, who's the last 10 people who took access to this data? Oh, Jeff's on, <laughs> Jeff's on there and his black hat is on. Let's go and uh, <laughs> shake him down and see what's going on. Whereas somebody, say Frank, did have full access to it and did not access it, there's now a different level of granularity that we can do, look at in this view. Correct. And yes, and that's a key point. Frank might have clear access but may never have opened it. You might, if you were the only one who ever opened it and that data ends up out on the dark web somewhere, you've got a short list of who, need, who you need to go look at. And that's exactly. kind of like the uh, the stamps in a passport. I can see where this data went. You, you could you could think of it that way, yeah. I'm still trying to draw that link there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of different ways you can you can articulate the the passport uh, story there. But yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good way to think about it. Is is you know who's taken it. Um, you, know, you also you know and and the other point you just made. This is another level of security. You know when when you look at data security. Um, it isn't a, a one solution. It's usually layers of solutions. You know, you, you encrypt your disk, you encrypt your file system, 
now you encrypt specific elements in a data-centric model. Um, you know, you, you, you get protection through layers. So these, these trusted data objects, do I create them? Uh, are they already there and I put things in them? What do I need to uh, think about in terms of starting to work with these? So with respect to creating them, um, so the administrator would, would communicate with data privacy passports to pull in a clear table and then write out a table that has some number of trusted data objects in it based on policy. Once they're out there, you can subset that table, join that table, do whatever you want with it um, based on the clear values. And, and all that processing works just fine because the trusted data object's not involved in it. If you were to say do a where clause on the column that had trusted data objects in it, that's not going to work in the target DBMS. That needs to come back to the data privacy passport controller in order to be evaluated. So you know, what you can do with the, the column that's out there depends on whether or not you've protected it or not. But now it sounds like I'm kind of – there's like three trips be made um, and so just to do a read from some data. So does this mean that I'm going to have like a big performance hit? So, you know, this is going to depend on the use case you're going after. Um, you know, is this something you want to do with every single data element? Probably not. Um, but it's something that we think is going to be way more applicable than the solutions that are available today. Um, there is definitely a, an extra hop of data here. When you want to go to the passport controller and it needs to go to the DBMS, there's going to be some cost associated with that as opposed to going directly to the DBMS. But for the value that you're getting, you know, we think there's a, a good trade-off there. Now, we are still in beta. So as we move towards, you know, general availability, we'll have more hard performance numbers around, you know, what that looks like because um, you have the network latency aspect as well as the data processing aspect that happens inside of that controller itself. So, so in this model... The the end user is never connected to any of the keys associated with the encryption and decryption of the data. Correct. So all the all the key material is within the solution, and and that's one of the reasons why I think IBM Z is the best spot for the solution is we can leverage our secure service container technology to bundle the solution into, because once you have you know all that key material, the clear data is flowing through there you need to have a lockdown environment to do that processing. So, so the secure service container provides the perfect environment for deploying uh, these passport controllers into. Oh, yeah, because without that, now you just have one place where all of the keys for everything sit. Right. You get, you've got you know, to lock that up tight. And, and how you do that on other platforms, I, I, I think IBM Z clearly has, has differentiating value there. And where and how does the controller run? So the controller, like I said, is in a secure service container. So it's running on IFLs. Um, so you can deploy, you know, one of these per, per keck, one of these per application. It, it's, you know, very flexible how you want to actually pull these things out. Um, and initially, some of the replication is going to be done, you know, more hand-tend. Um, you know, we've got roadmap items to help automate some of that. Um, but, you know, this is a, a journey and some new technology, and there's going to be some bumps as we you know, roll this out as into, you know, a really larger solution. So we don't really have any idea of what the draw, the, the performance draw is of this, of the, having the controller in the environment? It, it's going to, you know, the typical performance answer is it depends. <laughs> so, oh, well, I'm satisfied. <laughs> now that I've answered that question okay, good. fully. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's a network aspect to it, um, you know, pulling that data. And then there's the processing aspect. The processing aspect is something we can, you know, really address. Um, with respect to to tuning and optimizations and, and putting more resources under it. So those are the kinds of things we're looking at now as we move towards GA. Um, 
and where that overhead lands, I mean, you know, there's there's going to be continual improvement over time. You know, it's not going to be a well mission accomplished. We've we've gotten this down to a certain point um, where it's good enough. You know, we're we're always looking at ways to improve performance in everything we do uh, on IBM Z um, and ways to leverage the architecture and, and enhance things further. So, you know, I think as the performance continues to improve in that, it just opens up more use cases. You know, so it, it's it may be initially a bit of a gating factor for some more latency sensitive use cases, but I think a lot of things we're going after are not really going to fall into that bucket. Right. And that's kind of the point is it's not like all the data is encrypted. It's only those those uh, components that need to be um, secured. Right. So if you have, you know, if you have a table and you've got 100 queries that run against it and only four use the sensitive da- data, only those four need to go to the controller. So, you know, 4% of your queries moved. So if the performance is, you know, you, you can start to do, realize that it's not as big of an impact depending on what you, what you end up protecting and what your applications are actually doing. Yeah, the bigger thing, though, for me is this is going to be a tool that businesses use as the ETL data, right? Um, do we have an idea of what it's going to take to, as I unload and send that data do we have an idea of the the impact of the performance there? Is it going to add an extra hour to my ETL process? Or? No, that's a, it's a good question. And so, there, right, there's there's the interactive aspect of this, but then there's also the I've got a batch window to fit inside of, so I, I can't elongate my batch window. Um, so we're we're looking at optimizing both ends. Again, as we move towards GA, we'll have you know better metrics and, and graphs around you know what this looks like from a from a performance and latency standpoint. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the the public beta? Like, it, it sounds like you're kind of shaking out some of the um, more interesting aspects of, of how this will be delivered through that. And, uh, I mean, can Frank get in on it? I know he has some sensitive data that he doesn't want out there. Have so, that picture of me and the sheep. I yeah. So so Frank would need to get himself a Z15 first. Okay, cool. Um, so I, I have They're credit, pretty inexpensive. I have right? his credit card number. I have his credit. <laughs> so I'm sure they'll take that order right, right over there. <laughs> yep. All right, problem solved. Next. <laughs> So you, you, it, this does require a Z15. Mm-hmm. Um, so this solution is not part of Z15. It is a separate solution, but but it does have a prereq. Um, I mean, what we're looking for with the with the beta is is you know we're getting a few clients involved and starting to flush out some some you know use cases and data flows in very specific applications. You know you can talk to a hundred clients and get a very high level view of a lot of scenarios. But until you sort of start digging the ditch, you don't know what's <laughs> under the what's under the grass, right? Right. Um, so that's what we're really trying to do here because, you know, we know there's going to be some implementation challenges. This is new technology. Um, we really want to flush this out. With, and, and the IBM Z customer base is very diverse. You've got your, your, your really large customers, your really small customers, a lot of different industry verticals. Um, you know, we want to make sure we've got something that fits a lot of different scenarios. And that's kind of where the beta comes in. So, um, you know, you can, you can uh, go through, you know, your IBM team, get involved in the beta if you're interested in that. Let's say I'm a, I'm a customer of a bank. And the bank just made a, just walked up on stage at some IBM conference saying we're so proud that we have uh, data privacy passports enabled. Um, what can I sleep better knowing that uh, is happening? So I think, you know, you look at all the data breaches that happen, you know, almost daily at this point. Right. They've um, stopped reporting on them. Right. It's, it's almost <laughs> irrelevant because they're, they're happening so often, so frequently. There's so much leaked data, um, you know, out available. Um, at some point, we have to stem that. You know, it has to stop. Um, you know, you look at solutions like data privacy passports. What, what are we really trying to do with this data-centric model? Um, you know, this, this shift is be able to provide the ability for, you know, sensitive information to not be leaked out or 
at least be able to track who is taking it from an enterprise level and, and police those views of it as they, as they do that request. If someone comes out and says, you know, we've enabled data privacy passports in our enterprise, uh, I think, you know, from, from a consumer standpoint, it, it should give you a level of, of satisfaction that, you know, they're doing as much as possible to make sure that my data is being protected as they're the, the steward of that data, um, you know, once I submit it to them and open an account or, or, or you know, be, create a user profile, whatever it may be that that industry vertical is doing. So you've been doing this um, for, for a while now. Would you say that the European community is more interested in this than the, than the U.S. community? So, no, I don't think there's one geography or industry vertical that's the most interested in this. I think, you know, privacy is becoming a bigger concern. Uh, data protection is becoming a bigger concern, you know, globally across everyone. Um, so I, I don't think it's something that's really tied to any specific location. I think this is something that, um, you know, the consumer market is going to start driving, driving us towards. Well, if, if you do look at some of those those press releases or, you know, whatever makes it out to the public about data breaches, it's usually not the the company itself that, that that made that happen. It's some third party hired company that, that uh, was brought in to do one very small specific thing, and they just happen to have access to absolutely everything. Um, this seems like it kind of plays towards that type of um, problem. Right. I mean, imagine having a policy where you know you define a, a contractor or, or or you know someone who's temporarily there and. For them to get data access, they go through the passport controller and, oh, a bunch of, you know, hash data comes out and you can't see anything, you know, so they're not doing a full-scale data dump of what's what's going on in your enterprise. Well, also, you know, you think about um, pervasive encryption was really cool because it allowed us to ensure that people who were administrating the machine didn't have access to data that wasn't, that wasn't appropriate for them. This takes that concept and moves it to those remote systems. Right? Exactly, and that's exactly the point. Is is your your not just your administrators not need access to the clear data um, to do their job, but you can actually start to partition who has access to what based on their specific jobs, you know, needs and requirements. So it, it gives you that next level of protection, enterprise wide. It really only gets unwrapped at the the last. If this is a mile long journey, <laughs> it really only gets unwrapped and shown for a brief period at the very last inch there. Right for for the rest of its life, yeah. For the rest of that mile, it's been wrapped up and and no matter where it lands, it almost becomes irrelevant because it's encrypted. So the fact that it went in five intermediary hops before I opened it doesn't really matter so much anymore. You, you don't have to worry about tracking those intermediate hops as much as you did before. And when when it. The database gets replicated somewhere else, right? So I'm, I'm on. Um, I've gone through the the controller to put this data on platform B. If that data then gets copied to platform C, it, it really doesn't matter, and I don't. I still have to worry about security, but I'm not as exposed. Right. I say it's you know the the problem of copies of copies of copies right. of copies. You know, the, it's not the, the second or third copy that's going to bite you. It's the 10th copy of data that you've completely lost track of. And, and, you know, Jeff puts on his laptop and walks out the door with, you know. That's kind of another interesting aspect about these these data breaches. They tend not to be live data, but something that has been around for like five, six years that for some reason or another, somebody stumbled upon. Mm -hmm. Does this uh, stem those types of threats as well? It, it can. So, you know, one of the neat things about, having a central point of control for data access is you can start to 
destroy old data. Um, you know, because these trusted data objects are encrypted, if I get rid of the keys that encrypted them, no one can open them anymore. So if I have really old data or, or data that no longer is relevant, I go to the passport controller as the admin, I can go and destroy those copies of data. Now, if someone tries to come back and open them another time from that point forward, they will no longer open. And now it doesn't matter if that data was on someone's laptop that just turned up in a lost and found a couple of years later. There's no way to get that data out of there. Exactly. Even if they brought that laptop back to where they can connect to a, a passport controller, the keys are now gone. Right. Does this also allow me to revoke access to a particular person? So Jeff, Jeff before was able to look at that. He's changed jobs now. He no longer needs access to that particular data. Can I easily do that with this? Yes. So, so what I just described is the the big hammer. Then there's the little hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to take it, all the access away. But but yeah, Jeff changed jobs. You know, his persona has changed in the organization. So yes, he'll he can be reassigned, um, and then that new assignment will then dictate how he sees data from that point forward. Now, any data that he had previously, he does still have, but we have audit trail of what he took before. Are there plans to move this forward to different other types of data as well? So, you know, we have a roadmap. Um, you know, we are focused on, on JDBC and relational data right now. We, we definitely understand the need for more plug points for this. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of ways data moves, a lot of ways data is replicated, and, and we need to be able to plug this technology into a variety of different ways. So, yeah, we're thinking that way. Absolutely. Well, that's going to be important, right, as people take data out of a relational model and start putting it into other other, you know, NoSQL models, which is which is becoming more and more prevalent. Absolutely. So we're, we're you know, we're thinking through how, how this fits into those sort of models and as, you know, as well as API style models. So we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking that way. We're just, you know, right now we are, we are where we are with the, with the relational model that we're working with. Well, we'll give you a week. Yeah. Right? We'll, be yeah. All done. we'll have him back next week. I was going to yeah. say, I, I'll probably be back on the podcast at this rate. <laughs> uh, I, I just have one more question sure. for you. You down with DPP? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you know me. <laughs> no uh, further questions. <laughs> we, 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 we can't add anything to that. <laughs> Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.